and welcome to our Questions of Life podcast. I'm Kath, I'm here with Donald. Hello. In our session today, we are exploring whether Christianity is about restrictive rules or whether it is freedom. We're going to look at the first two of the Ten Commandments. Enjoy our show. So this evening, Donald, we are looking at this whole suggestion that many people have that Christians aren't happy, Christians are boring, that Christianity is all restrictive. They think of the Bible, it's full of thou should not do this. You think of the Ten Commandments, do not do this, do not do that. Why on earth people think, would I want to have anything to do with Christianity? It's just about stopping me having fun. You look at the world, the world's out there expressing themselves, doing what they want to do. Christians all know you can't do that. You can't do this. So we're going to look at these Ten Commandments. We're going to look at what God has said in the Bible, his message to us. And we're going to explore whether they're restrictive or whether they might actually bring life and be helpful. Now, I came across a poll that was carried out by YouGov, and uh, they asked a, a wide section of people in our country. So they said, regardless of whether you are a Christian or not, which of the Ten Commandments from the Bible do you believe are still important principles to live by? How many of the Ten Commandments do you think people thought were still good principles to live their lives by? What number are you going for? How many? What other people? What other people? What our nation? What the UK? So you've got a mixture of people that have faith and those that don't have faith. Different faiths in there as well. Probably, I mean, I would go for 10, but they probably would go for four. I'll go for four. You're going four? Yeah. Okay, it's actually six. Okay. Yeah, which I was surprised yeah, at. Yeah, that's good. So the top, the top two uh, that they're, they're tied for, exactly, are stilled and murder. And then what do you think came in next? Adultery. No, we had lies. Oh, okay, yeah. Then we had adultery. Yeah. And then? Parents. Yeah, obey your mother and father. Yeah. And then the final one that they think is a good one for us to live our lives by? Uh, it would either be covet or rest. They probably went for envy and coveting. It is. So the least popular one that folks went for was rest. The least popular. The least popular. Really? Absolutely. It's the easiest commandment. Yeah. It's a great commandment, and yeah. we'll come on to that. Why would you not want to rest? That's weird, isn't it? Isn't it? How messed up is our world? Exactly. Yep. The next one is... What do you think the next one is? Misuse the name of God? No. Okay. It is... You may not worship anyone else. Okay. Then it is misuse the name of God, and then it is no idols. Interesting that there are people today that think some of the Ten Commandments are, are good principles to mm. live your life by. The two that we're going to start with are in the bottom four. So these are two that people have <laughs> completely written off thinking, yep. what on earth have these got to do with life and how can these be helpful? So just fill us in to start with a little bit of background about the Ten Commandments. How did they come into being? So tell us about Moses and the Israelites and... So right back at the beginning of the Old Testament, God has called uh, Abraham and his descendants, with the Jewish race, the people of God. And uh, there are lots of stories, if you remember, Joseph and his Technicolor dream mm -hmm. coat, and he has a dream. They're, they end up in Egypt. They uh, become slaves to the Egyptian people. And uh, God hears their cries, and they are released and 
Uh, Moses is sent and he takes them out of slavery and he leads them, crosses the Red Sea, you may remember, he takes a staff and the, the waves part and they go out. And after they've gone out, um, God uh, reaffirms what we call a covenant. It's kind of a, an agreement, a set of promises that he will protect them, he will be their people and that they in return are to, to keep these these commandments. So Moses goes up Mount Sinai, goes up a big hill, he's on his own, he hears God and uh, he chisels or writes them down on, on tablets and he comes down and he says, here are the, the ten, here, here's our part of the agreement to, to match God's part of the agreement. Fantastic. One of the things that interests me about this story is the two that we're going to look at tonight are things that were rife and that were going on uh, with the Israelites at that time and we look at them and we just think oh these don't really apply to us but as we will see I think as we begin to unpack them uh, they do so we're going to dip into our Bibles Mm. if you've uh, got a Bible at home great you can get your Bible on your phone if you don't actually have a Bible if you go to YouVersion uh, there's a little app that you can go to or if you just type in this reference which is Exodus chapter 20 starting at verse 1 type that into your uh, browser Uh, it will take you to this passage. So Exodus chapter 20, starting at verse 1. I'm just going to read the first bit because we're just going to look at the first two commandments this evening. And it says this. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments." And it goes on and it talks about the other one. So that's Exodus chapter 20, starting at verse 1. Why has God given us these commandments? Why isn't God just happy to say, I've created you, get on with your life? So I think one of the most helpful analogies is when you go to the petrol station, if you uh, have borrowed a car or hired a bus, a minibus or a van, or you know you go into Enterprise and you've hired a van, and you pull up at the petrol station, and you go to the petrol pump, and you think, now is this diesel or petrol? Uh, and I don't know if you've ever put diesel in a petrol car, but it's bad. <laughs> Some of our mission partners have done that when they've borrowed uh, really nice cars from the church. Mm. It's not mm. ended well. It seriously messes the thing up. Nowadays, for which I am very, very grateful, when you hire something, normally as you open the petrol cap, there is a little sign Mm. that says, in quite big, bold letters with symbols and crosses and big exclamation marks, do not put, and then it tells you what to do, (laughs) do not put diesel in this or do not put petrol in this. Mm. Now, I don't look at that and go, do you know what, that's really restrictive. Mm. I would really like the freedom to Mm. be able to put shampoo in my engine. (laughs) Or I really wish that I could fill this with petrol when it's clearly a diesel Mm. because petrol is cheaper. Mm. And everybody else has got petrol. Mm. And petrol seems to be more popular and Mm. petrol is a bit more with it than diesel. Diesel's Mm. old hat and it's Greener as well. Absolutely. Mm. So I don't care what they say I should do. Mm. I will put petrol in it. 
Now, none of those things occur in my mind. What does occur is, thank goodness, this uh, manufacturer is telling me what to do because I don't know and I can't remember and I forgot to ask the person I hired the van from whether it's diesel or petrol. Mm. I think the Ten Commandments are God just saying, this is how you will find life works. And mm. to do this will set you free. Mm. To do this, your engine, your life will run mm. smoothly. So there are two really positive things about the commandments. The first one is that everybody, if everybody else lived them, boy, we'd be in heaven. Yeah. We really would. If you knew that everybody else kept the commandments, life would be fantastic. We'd feel completely safe and secure. Mm. So all of us want everybody else to do it. Mm. But actually, that requires us to do it. Yeah. But the second thing is this thing about the engine is actually we are designed and created to run on these uh, instructions. Mm. And when we follow the whim or the wish of other instructions, it's like putting shampoo in an engine. It just fouls up if we get clogged up and we don't live to the way God created us. We don't live to the potential. We don't live to the freedom. We don't live to the fulfillment. Mm. That's easier to see with some of the later ones, which mm. we'll come down to. A bit, more, uh, a bit more obtuse, perhaps, of first reading on what we've just read tonight. But I hope by the end of this evening, as we unpack it, you'll see how it's liberating. It is absolutely liberating. So bottom line is we're created by God. So he knows what's best for us. Yeah. Like the designer of the car, yeah. like anything else, we are made by God. He knows how we function best yeah. and how we can enjoy life the best. Yeah. Second bottom line, God loves us. So God isn't a God that wants to be restrictive. Mm. He's not a God that wants to stop us living life to the full and being the best that we can and enjoying this earth. Yeah. God wants good things for us. Absolutely. He doesn't want us to sit around po-faced and, and bored, although some Christians do look like they're particularly dull and boring and not enjoying life. Uh, but he loves us. So all of this is coming from a place of love. So him calling Moses up the mountain is just carrying on that love that he's heard the cries of the Israelites. They're in captivity. They've been taken over. They've got a horrible life. They're crying out, would you help? He hears that because he loves them, because he's interested in their lives. Calls them out and it's like, right, okay. Let, let's carry on me expressing my love. And my love helps to give you boundaries within which to live your life. That, As you say, if you all live, if our world lived in, in line with the commandments, it would be an incredible place. Mm. And most countries have our commandments, have the commandments as part of their laws and uh, ways of living, which is really, really interesting. Mm. So as you say, the later ones are probably a little bit easier to understand from that perspective. But we start at the beginning and we start with it all being about God. Mm. So it's like, right, let me tell you all about me. Or I want it all to be about me. You are just to look to me. You ought to have nothing else. Isn't that just a little bit egotistical? You know, God's a little bit, get me. It, you know. Yeah, it can sound like that. Yeah. It can sound like that. But I, I put it this way. And I think, firstly, the, these first two commandments are very, they're almost two sides of the same thing. They're almost repetition. They're saying something really important. And it's this. Every human being, like the, the car, is fueled by something. Mm -hmm. We're driven, motivated, directed, inspired, all of us, by something. Mm -hmm. and, and that's a fact. We, 
we, we, we may choose or we may not choose what it is that determines how we spend our time, mm -hmm. what it is that we think will cheer us up, what it is that we think will determines our, our ethics, our values, whether mm -hmm. we tell the truth or not, whether we live this way or that way. All of us have some sort of little engines, little agenda, mm. little uh, fuel, if you like, something that makes us the kind of person that we are. Mm. And what these commandments are simply saying is, of all the things to make your God, and I say God with a small z, because that's one of the words that we might use to describe, the thing that makes us tick, of all the possible options out there, choose the one who made you. Mm. Don't choose the things that are not really going to be able to guide you and advise you in the best way. It's like saying that every engine has to have a fuel. It, it is either petrol or diesel or paraffin or hydrogen or, or electricity or whatever it is. There is something that makes that engine go. Mm -hmm. And as human beings, there is something that makes us tick. Sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's ambition, sometimes mm -hmm. it's greed, sometimes it's uh, other people and forcing us peer pressure. So there are all kinds of different gods and in our world. We, we might unpack those kind of gods that there are, but they're all different kinds of fuels. Mm -hmm. And what the first command is saying, have no other fuel but the one who made you and loves you. Mm -hmm. In the New Testament, Jesus is asked, you know, similarly to your YouGov poll, was asked, you know, what's the most important commandment? Mm. And interestingly, Jesus says there are two, and neither of them are word for word from these ten. He, he kind of mm. sums them up. Mm. And he sums up the first two and possibly three as the most important commandment. He says mm. the most important thing you ever will do in your life is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Mm. And I think that does ask the question that you're asking, well, why does God want to be loved? Mm. And it's more about our protection because I think what is implicit in this is every human being loves the, the thing that's its God. Mm. So if you don't love God, well, maybe you will love yourself and you will do everything on the motive of self-centeredness, of selfishness. Mm. And on the face of it, selfishness sounds a great model, a great God, make me my God and yep. do everything I want for myself. But actually, we all know what we think of people who are self-centered. Mm. And actually, we become unattractive, we become unlivable with, mm. we become dysfunctional when we make ourselves our God. Mm. In the New Testament, there's a lot of stuff about loving money. So we might say, you know, love money with all your heart, with all mm. your, you know, get rich, that will mm. make you happy. And again, we know if we pause for a moment or two that loving money doesn't make us happy. You know, as you walk through, I often say this, as you walk through Sutton and where we live, you can walk from one end to the other and you go, the, the house prices go up as you walk. You walk from the middle, <laughs> you go through Four Oaks, you go through, you end up in Little Aston and, mm. you know, the house prices were up there where all the footballers live. You don't suddenly feel with every step that you take, people are happier and happier yeah. and happier. Yeah. Money doesn't make us happy. So one of the opposite commands to love the Lord your God with all your heart is love money with all your heart, with mm -hmm. all your soul, with all your mind. 
and mm. you think, oh, that doesn't work for us. Mm. Actually, that makes us nervous mm. because actually the more money you think you want, the more you feel you never got enough. Mm. And the love of money becomes insatiable and you mm. just want more and you trample over people and damage relationships. It, we may say that you know, what we need to love is uh, our job or our, uh, uh, being popular or being cool or whatever it is we say instead of loving God. Ultimately, we damage ourselves. Mm. So Jesus says, look, the best thing you can do mm. is love God. Mm. And what that means is that we say to God, I'm going to live my life your way. I'm going to be guided by you. I'm mm. going to be inspired by you. I'm going to be shaped by you. Your mm. values are going to be my values. Your ways are going to be my ways. And when that happens, we are the most alive mm. and, and, and the most fulfilled. Mm. So it's not God saying, love me because I need to be loved. Mm. It's God saying, you're going to love something and put it as the most important thing in your life. Every human being does that. I'm telling you, that if you put me as the most important thing in your life, your life will work out the best. Mm. If you put something else on that throne and worship that thing, you will end up alienated mm. from life. So that makes sense as to why he's put that at the very beginning. Yeah. He's, he's laid it out there. He said, in the whole of life, if you want to get the best out of life, the starting point is me. Yeah. Put me first in your life. Have me first in your heart. And there may be people listening tonight that haven't really ever considered that before, that have just gone through life. Well, I've just made my choices. I've not really thought about God. Mm. You know, what difference does putting God first in our lives mean? Why, why should we do that? I thought there's loads of things, and a lot <laughs> of them come out in these commandments, but you discover that actually uh, to do with each day the things that you were given breath to do is far more fulfilling than tr chasing after the wind mm. and trying to cram life with things that are not really our strengths or our skills or rewarding mm. or fulfilling. So allowing God to say, this is what I want you to do. Mm. The second most important commandment Jesus says is to love your neighbour as yourself, which really sums up the other seven commandments. Yeah. And actually, that's deeply satisfying and deeply rewarding mm. to care for others, to value others, and, and, and to, to seek to look after other people. It may seem counterintuitive, but it's actually the best way to live. Mm. Um, and I think that also when we love God, we discover his love for us, mm. which releases us from fear. Mm. It releases us from shame, from guilt, from low self-esteem from uh, feeling rubbish about ourselves. Yeah. I mean, it, I just digress slightly, but in a two or three weeks' time, we're going to do a special uh, around social media. And you could quite easily say that that's one of the gods of our world, that people love social media. They love the attention or the... Uh, um, the likes. The likes. Yeah. The addiction of being liked yep. to people. Actually, we know how damaging that is mm. and how so easily we feel unlovable and mm. inferior and not up to, uh, and judged by other people and not as good as other mm. people. And so, so there's many p people for whom social media is their God. In other words, it's the most important priority. You're in the room with them and you know that you're second <laughs> to the phone. Yeah. You know that you could try and have a conversation, but they're looking at the phone. Or they're taking a picture of you or, or what they're doing. They're not in, in the moment. They're not in the moment. Mm. 
but they're not happier mm. because to love social media actually is corrosive, mm. whereas God gives back mm. and social media doesn't. God life. says you're valuable, mm. you're precious, you're significant for who you are, and it doesn't matter what other people think. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what other people say about mm. you. You matter. Mm-hmm. And that kind of love received back from God is one of the reasons why loving him is so easy. Yeah, it's absolutely incredible. So this whole putting God first in our lives, it's not just a one-off decision, is it? it, it it's a kind of battle. There, there are so many things that are vying for yeah. our attention. Uh, how do you do that on a regular basis? Is it a, a self-checking? Is it a, a constant conversation with God? It is, and... and I'd love to say, oh, I've cracked that. (laughs) It is a constant thing of saying, God, you know, here I am. We've talked before about the power of confession Mm -hmm. and of being self-aware of saying, where have I drifted from what you wanted? Mm -hmm. Where have I neglected you? Where have I put my own God or the God of what other people want me to be or the God of money or, or, or mm. sex or whatever it is, where has that shaped me? Where has that made me make a decision mm. that's not really what you wanted, mm. what wasn't really best for me? Mm. So I think it is a daily coming to God and saying, here I am. Mm-hmm. I want to put you first. Mm. I think being in the community of church is really helpful. We can't meet together at the moment, but on our live streams, part of what we're doing week by week is encouraging and facilitating that moment yeah. of saying, here I am, God, I'm, yeah. I'm here f- for you for this week. I'm yeah. recommitting. And, and so just the community of other Christians encouraging us to constantly take stock and constantly mm-hmm. rededicate ourselves is good. And also that community there encourages us with the truth about God. Yeah. That God is gracious, that God is forgiving, that he's kind, that he's merciful, that he welcomes us for the first time, for the a millionth time. Because I think sometimes we go our own way at times. Mm-hmm. And the easiest thing is just to shy away from God. Like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they, they make a mistake and they hide from God. Mm. I can't face it. I can't face what I've done. I don't like who I am. And yet being part of a community in our live streams, there's something about the truth of scripture and the truth of who God is that I hope affirms and encourages and speaks into people's lives. Those that maybe feel distant from God or alone or are struggling, there's a sense of actually no, this is what scripture says. We want to encourage you today that he's real and he's there. So I don't encourage people that if they want to join into our Sunday live streams, it's just a way of being built up and encouraged and being able to draw near to God. Even if you've never had a faith or you do have a faith, mm. it's very simple and straightforward to enter into. Mm. So we have this first command, love God, starting point. And so for most of us listening to that, we think, okay, that makes sense. If we want to explore and journey in Christianity, it makes sense to put God first. But then we get onto this whole area of idols. And we think back throughout history and we think, yeah, you know, some people, they had their stone or their bronze or their gold idols. We understand that. We don't have those things. I don't have one of those idols in my house. I don't have idols. For for most people, they would say, no, this is nothing to do with me. And you've, you've alluded to this and, and mentioned it a little bit so far, but our world is full of idols. There, there are full of things that actually we allow to take stent, center stage and, and go before God, that it's a real prevalent issue in mm. our society today. 
Yeah, so there are, I think, a number of little questions or tests of what makes an idol. So an idol is something that when we are unhappy, we think that is the main thing that's going to cheer us up. Yeah. So we go to that as a priority to cheer us up. So, for, so two big examples in our culture would be if our instant response to something un depressing or difficult is to go shopping, mm -hmm. then probably materialism or things or even the act of shopping has become an idol because we, that's the first thing we turn to. Mm. If we're in a place where the first thing we do is have a drink. Then or we, eat. Or eat. Then we might want to ask ourselves, has food or alcohol become an idol? It's the thing that we think we must have in order to feel better. And it's that must have is the first, is the key thing. I think you're completely right, but I just sometimes think we don't even think about it. Mm. I think it is just our response. Mm. It's not even a thought through thing, mm. it's just what we do. Yeah. yeah. And it's checking ourselves in that moment and yeah. asking that question, yeah. isn't yeah. it? And you see, what God wants is our first response is to say, Lord, help me. Yeah. And to come to him and be honest. We've talked about this in live streams before, uh, questions of life before about prayer, about being mm -hmm. honest. The first, if our first response is, God, I, I'm really worried about this. I'm really struggling with this. And we spend some moments praying and whatever. And then down the road, we go out and do a little bit of shopping or we have something to eat. It, that's fine. It's not the idol. The idol is the thing that we instantly turn to and say, cheer me up, make me feel better. Mm. So that's one test. Mm -hmm. A second big test is what is the thing that we think uh, will shape our morals, our ethics? So, uh, so an example would be whether we're going to tell the truth or not. Mm -hmm. And most of us think in the cold light of day, we will tell the truth. <laughs> uh, hopefully most of us think that. But for example, if we say... I have to tell the truth, I have to lie or I'll lose my job, then perhaps the career has become an idol. It's become something that shapes our values. And uh, careers are often like that, ambition like that. So you, sometimes you look back and say, when I was a young idealistic teenager, I thought this and this. Now I look at myself as a, a cynical adult, I don't. Why? Sometimes because we put career, we put ambition as our God. And we said, shape our values and it destroys us. I think following on from that, a lot of people would be fearful of losing their jobs because of providing for family. Uh, and it's the sense of not believing that actually God can provide. It's having a, a, a narrow and a limited view of who God is and what he can do. Thinking, oh, this is in my hands. Mm. I'm the only one that can save me. I'm the only one that can sort this situation. Yeah. If I have to do this, yeah. it's just having a limited understanding of God. And not allowing God to actually say, okay, you won't look, you, it won't be as bad as you think it's going yes. to be. So another example might be, again, looking back to questions of life, when we had Velma and, and Paulette with us, we would all say in the cold light of day, we don't believe racism is, is right. Mm -hmm. And yet there are times when we go along with it or are quiet. And very often that's because we want to fit in, we want mm -hmm. to be accepted. Mm -hmm. So that might be peer pressure, acceptance might be another one of our 
our gods. It becomes something that shapes our values. So we'd say, normally, no, I'm not racist. But then in that moment, we, mm. we go along with it. Some of the police officers who are alongside doing nothing when, when um, the, um, there was that horrendous murder by the police, perhaps it was peer pressure. But actually, if we put God first, it may be that actually speaking up and saying, mm. I don't think we should, that's the right thing, I don't agree with you, or mm. that's um, not having that language here, or whatever it is, mm. and actually we find that the situation changed. We're not excluded and rejected as we feared, but we actually we become influential. Mm. So one of the things of putting God first is discovering that it makes life better rather than us not allowing him the opportunity to show us that it makes life better. Mm. So we've had the idol of what we seek for happiness, the idol of what we seek, or happiness or comfort, what we seek to guide our morals. Another big thing is how we, what we seek to do with our money. So an idol would be the thing that we say, well, the most important first outcome, outgoing of my income is this. Mm. And that might be an idol. Mm. So... For me as a Christian, I would say all of my money is God's. Mm. So uh, I set aside an amount that I give to the church, to Christian work, and that goes out first. Uh, and then what I've got left over is spent on other things. But if actually whatever else happens, you're going to have that holiday in Barbados. <laughs> or whatever else happens, you're going to have a new car. Mm. Or whatever else happens, you're going to have the extension on the house. Mm. Then that's replaced God. It's become mm. the idol mm. because it's now determining how you spend your money. Mm. And likewise with time. What am I going to do with my uh, time after work? If mm. uh, So I don't know how relevant this is anymore. Well, maybe it's social media, but certainly a few years ago it was TV. So if yeah. you, I, I remember, I don't know if it still happens, there used to be people who'd say, I can't come to this meeting because I, don't, I can't miss Coronation Street. And really? Yeah. <gasps> and now that's probably alien now because people can record it and all of that. But I remember that being a thing. And I guess there are people now who'd say, I can't come to this because at that time, this is what I do. Thank the Lord for Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. So maybe that's less of an idol. But I still think there are times when we say, I haven't got time. Mm. Now, we have got time, but it's just that there are other things that are a priority on our time. Mm. And therefore, it's sometimes worth looking at what are the, not the things we think are the most important things in our diary mm -hmm. and saying, have they been put there by God? Mm -hmm. Or if we say, I haven't got time, I haven't got time to join you on a live stream because I do, uh, that's when I do the gardening. Maybe we say, you know, has gardening become the idol? Has that become the thing that determines who we are? So there are lots of, so there's the questions around time, around money, about what makes us happy, uh, and about what determines our values. And all of those things will throw up that there are loads of different potential idols for us. And just to be clear, spending money on holidays, cars and extensions isn't wrong. No. As long as it's not the bill on end and everything that your life is centred on. Yeah. And watching Coronation Street and Netflix and football and doing the gardening isn't wrong. No. 
So, so it's you, the emphasis we yeah, place it's, on it. It's where it's what's first. Yep. It's what's the priority. Yeah. So, for example, so I, you know, I'm a football fanatic. I love football. I think that's a god. In given passion of mine, I think it's perfectly right. It inspires me. It, it helps inspires me rest. Inspires you with your yeah, team. Yeah, it gives me rest. Uh, sometimes it makes me very angry. But anyway, but I don't put football before serving God. Mm. And there's plenty of time for football, mm. but there are some priorities that are more important than football. And it's that it's the order in which things come in our life that matters. I think sometimes we think that we can um, sneakily get away with it. If you think of money, so, yeah, I tithe a certain percentage of my money. That's great. I've done my God bit. Yeah. And then I can do what I want with the rest of it. Or um, what was the first thing you were talking about that's just gone completely out of my mind? The first, the first of, like, seeking happiness, food and drink. Yeah, so the, the whole, something goes wrong. I say a quick prayer to God, but then I, do, I go back to my default. You know, you, you kind of play in the system, you think, oh, what I, what I should be doing is this, so I'll do what I should be doing, and then I'll do the other. And I think sometimes we can fool ourselves, but God knows our hearts, mm -hmm. and God knows what's going on. And there's a little bit in this passage that talks about God being a jealous God, mm. which I find really interesting, that, that we don't always put him first. We may have these other idols that perhaps we've never realised in our lives. And God isn't passively looking on saying, oh, it's all right for you to do that. It's okay. God is jealous. Mm. Often we think of the word jealousy and being jealous is, is not a good thing. It's often quite, oh, they're jealous. That's not ideal. But we have a God who is jealous. Talk to us about that being okay and what, what's that like? Well, we need to, we need to separate. Jealous can mean a, a number of different nuances and it's yeah. not this sort of angry, possessive, controlling, damaging concept. Yeah. It is a, it's a relational word and yeah. it's a bit of a metaphor. It's, it's really expressing the emotion of God mm -hmm. that he wants to be in our lives. Yeah. So if we, we go back to this, this thing that we keep saying, he doesn't say these things because he wants control. He's saying these things because they're best for us. So the reason he says don't turn to alcohol or, or food is because it's actually damaging for you. The yeah. reason he says don't turn to shopping is it because it, it will never satisfy. Mm. It's that his heart is saying this isn't the best for you. I'm the best mm. for you. And this idea of, is that, that when we say no, God, I don't care. I'm going to mm. worship this other thing. I'm going to, I am going to put shopping first. Or I do care how many likes I have on social media. Therefore, that's my God. He grieves over that. Mm. And he dis is distressed for mm. us. And this idea of jealousy is one of him saying, I long for something more mm. for you. Mm. And it's, and I guess it's the opposite of him saying, well, tough, I don't care what you do. It's yeah. your life. Yeah. Um, and when you care for someone, you do care what they do, mm. and it does emotionally affect you. Mm. It's not an insecure thing. It's not a self-centered thing. So we, we, we need to separate it from human jealousy. But it is the power of his love that he is hurt mm. on our behalf mm when we mess up our lives. Mm. Um, if we go back to the, the guy who's put the notice on the petrol cap that says put diesel in the van, mm -hmm. that guy is not emotionally invested in it. 
if I put petrol in the diesel van, he's not going to lie awake worrying about it. <laughs> Whereas God does grieve. He grieves when we make foolish and, and destructive choices. Mm. I've uh, got a message in, Annie Mosley. Just a reminder, you can email us, qol at stbc.org.uk, or you can text us on 0754-489-9698. So, evening, Annie. She says, before COVID, I used to spend far too much time on Facebook. Some weeks ago, after getting exasperated and disheartened by comments on Facebook, I decided to come off it mainly for my health. I'm now using this time to study the Bible in one year instead. Also, I have loads of things to talk about when I see my best friend for a run instead of finding it out on Facebook first and having nothing to talk about when we meet. My hopes for the new year are to continue to study the Bible and to make more time for friends face-to-face -face and not over Facebook. That's brilliant. So that's the kind of thing that we're talking about, isn't yeah. it? Just gently realising, hold on a minute, this has been too prominent a place in my life. I've spent too much time on it. It's not been the most healthy for me. It's not given me life. Mm. Uh, and looking at life differently, uh, and maybe it's a prayer that says, God, would you just prompt me? Would you just guide me? Throughout my day, throughout my week, if there's something that you can see that I maybe can't see, that... that I'm putting too much of my heart or my life in. Just prompt me. And God does that gently, isn't yeah. he? He's not like a sledgehammer yeah. Yeah. that comes smashing and shouting, yeah. Kath, sort your life out. It's just, just something that, that begins to stir within us and we begin yeah. to think and think, okay, maybe God's trying to say something to me. Let me take it to him. Let me talk to him about it and say, okay, God, if this is you, I'm sorry that I've done that, but, but let's... Let's sort this out. Yeah. Help me to do that. And I think it's worth like reiterating what you said earlier, that all of these things are things that God's in, created and are good for us. I mean, the, in the uh, Old Testament and the original, all the idols, they made idols out of the sun or fire mm -hmm. or wood. These were things that God had made. Mm -hmm. And God has given lots of good things. He's given alcohol. He's given food. He's even given the internet, I think. But, <laughs> <laughs> well, because, uh, you know, all we're doing now is blessed yeah, by the internet. Absolutely. Uh, he has given all of these things. Mm -hmm. So they're not bad in themselves. The mm -hmm. problem is, it's like saying, there's nothing wrong with shampoo. Shampoo is great, mm -hmm. but an engine doesn't run on it. Yeah. And it's saying, these things are good, but I can't let them control and determine my life because then I get messed up. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the key thing, is saying, what is it that really determines my life. Mm. Let's make it God. And so God knows that he's the best thing for our lives, not in an arrogant way, but in a, in a loving and, and, and a merciful way. Uh, and because of that, he's hurt. He is jealous yeah. when we don't put him first. I so remember. I had an experience today. Uh, I was walking my dog straight. She's not with us now. Oh. She's getting old. She's 16. Oh. And uh, she's pretty well deaf now. And her vision is, I think, quite tunnelled. But she's quite active and mm -hmm. she enjoys going for a walk. She still walks quite a distance with me. And I was uh, in the park and somebody walked past me wearing a similar coat to me. And she started to follow him down a different path. And I was calling. And, but she was just trotting behind this chap who was going completely in a different direction. <laughs> And so, and I started to shout, and he's turning around, but she's playing, she can't hear him. She's just trotting after him, and he's wondering why I'm shouting. <laughs> so in the end, I had to run up to her, 
and, and she still couldn't hear me. I had to run up to her. I had to tap her on the backside and get her to look me in the eye oh. and then say, we're going this way. Oh. And then explain to the guy what was going on. <laughs> now, the point was that she just was following mm. the wrong way. Mm. But because I love her, mm. I couldn't let her do that. Mm. It's not that I need the dog to follow me, that mm. I'm in some way, uh, my ego requires my dog to follow me. It's that I love her and want the best for her. And this guy isn't the best for her. Mm. He, he's not going to take her mm. home. He's not going to feed her. He's not going to look after her. He doesn't even know her name. And so I had to chase after her. Mm. And I think that's how it is with God. He's just, mm. I can't just let you do this. I love mm. you. Not be, and it's not about me. It's about you. Mm. I know what's best for you. Mm. And I don't mean that as an arrogance to say, I know what's best for my dog. It's just a statement of fact. I do know what's best mm. for her. And mm. I know that she is safer with me than with a stranger, however good this guy was. Mm. Uh, and I think that uh, that's the thing. God's running after us and saying, love me. Stop loving these other things first. You can like them, mm. enjoy them, but don't make them your God. I think, though, that there is a sense that we can hurt God as well. Mm. So when we say that it's all about him wanting the best for us, that's 100% true. It's not his ego, but it hurts him. Yeah. I think there's a pain, yeah. there's a sadness, there's a sadness at that disconnect between us and him. And there's a sadness as he, like you watch his shrade go off in the wrong direction. I mean, he doesn't always run after us, tap us on the backside and look us in the eye. He does things to like try and get our attention, puts mm. people in our paths, prompts us by his spirit, speaks in lots of different ways, but they're probably easier to ignore. Mm. But I think there is a pain. Because his, his heart is that we would all know him, that we would all have life through Jesus mm. in him. Mm. And so when we do go our own way, when we do have our own idols, I think it hurts him. It, it distresses him, grieves him, and hurts him, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And when we hurt other people mm -hmm. because we've made something else our God, it makes him angry yeah. because he loves the people we're hurting and damaging. Yeah. So talking about God being angry, let's move on to another little bit in this mm. passage. Because it starts off all lovely, you know, have God as your God, that's great, no more idols, okay, we're beginning to understand that. God is jealous. But then it says, punishing the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. It's a little bit harsh. Mm. It's not their fault. Mm. So what he's saying is if you have some folks that hate him, it would seem from this passage that he's going to take it out on generations to come when they've mm. done nothing wrong. Mm. It's a lovely God, isn't he? Yeah, we need to read the next verse. <laughs> but showing love to thousands of generations. So you're comparing three or four yep. with thousands. That's the first thing. But the main yep. thing to say is this. I don't think this is God... Uh, I think a lot of the times in the Bible... God says, this is the, con the consequence of you doing something is this, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. if you repent, it needn't be that. Yep. And I think what this is saying is that if we, and, and it's a strong word to hate God, and it, it probably is like the word jealous. It's probably not exactly what we mean by the word hate, but it means to choose consciously to dis disregard God. Mm -hmm. That that doesn't just affect us. Mm -hmm. 
that affects our families. And I know from my family, and I think all most families, there are things that previous generations have done that affect current generations. There are consequences that filter down. That when we do something, you know, people often say, I wasn't hurting anybody. Mm. And that's always a myth. Mm. We're always hurting somebody mm. when we choose something different to God. Mm. And often we damage the next generation and the generation after. Mm. And they may be our actual children, but they may just simply be the next generation. And I mm -hmm. think our sins as this generation will damage the next generation if we don't repent. And so this is a warning of saying, look, the consequences of rejection is not just that you damage your own life and you can say, well, fair enough, I want to damage my own life, but you will damage the people who live with you and around you. Mm -hmm. So don't, so he's saying don't do it. But I'm certain as we look at the context of everything else that God does throughout the Bible, repentance always changes the situation. It is not that you cannot, now that you've done this, your kids are going to be, are going to suffer whatever you do. Uh, it's not that because repentance can change things, but there will be consequences. Um, so I have, uh, there's a, the, the, you know, there's a degree of, uh, um, what can I say? I don't want to. So there are things in my family that children are affected by. Mm. Um, and with all the best will in the world, it is. That, mm. that is the way I'm trying to, I don't want to. But if you have alcoholism in a family, mm. it affects the children. Mm. And even when that's resolved and dealt with and someone becomes dry, there is a legacy. Mm. So this is a warning that to, to reject God is a bigger implication than messing your own life up. Mm. But we have to read verse 6. But the love shown to those who choose me is for generations. Mm. And he's saying, look, the impact of changing that course is massive. Mm. So there is a consequence to disobeying God. Mm. That consequence can be changed by turning to God. Mm. And that turning to God will far outweigh the negativity. Is it sometimes helpful to look back throughout our, not necessarily the whole of our family tree, but, but some generations? And to, if we think it's appropriate, and if it's maybe something that God leads us to, to pray and to repent on their behalf and to ask God to cut us off from any of the yeah. influences. I mean, I've looked back over my family tree and my family history and there are some things there that I've just felt right. Do you know what? I need to just bring that to God because it may not be physically, but spiritually something has just passed through the generations and you, you, you can see it. Mm. Uh, and so uh, along with a couple of people, I've just prayed God, uh, I confess what's gone on in my family history. Would you now cut me and subsequent generations off from it? And that's quite a normal thing that yeah. we can do without I, loads of histrionics. I think it's really important to do because it may be that there's just an acceptance or a pattern or a habit of doing something. There may have been even a religion or an influence that's just there and you just say, I need to acknowledge it, bring it to you, God, fill it with your light and yeah. take it away and cut, cut that chain of behaving 
and that chain of influence. Sometimes the influences that our relatives or maybe we ourselves have been involved in have been uh, maybe not your money, those kind of idols, but maybe the occult. So it may be that we or somebody else has been involved in palm reading, tarot cards, Ouija boards, things like that. We know the Bible talks about being really unhelpful, mm. something that God wouldn't have us do, that go completely against him. But it's not the end of the world if we have done them. I think I've shared this story before here. There was uh, somebody that we both know uh, that uh, came to Alpha, became a Christian, um, really going for it with God, was working in a local pub. And uh, at closing time, they used to get a Ouija board out. And at first she was like, oh, I don't want to be involved in this. You know, I know this is wrong. But, but bit by bit was, was drawn into it. And so one night... She did it and was just petrified, just knew, oh, this is wrong. This isn't what God wants me to do. It feels just dark and horrible uh, and didn't know how to get out of it. And it knew that it was having an effect on her and tainting her. And the really interesting thing was, right, we're going to do the Ouija board, they said, for you, and we're going to see what message it comes up with because the glass moves about on different bits of paper. I don't know, I've never done it. So she was sat there. And the message that the Ouija board gave was for her to go and see me, go and see Kath Horn, which is incredible. I always remember that and think, God is bigger mm. than every power of darkness in this mm. world. Mm. And that he was able to speak through that into her life. She came to see me and just very quietly and gently and simply, she confessed, I prayed for her. We cut her off from it and she moved on. Mm. So if there are people that are listening in tonight, listening to the podcast at another point and are thinking, I've been involved in some stuff that actually maybe I shouldn't have done. What would you say to them? Everything <laughs> is, is restorable and redeemable by God. And so anything, we just there's no place you can go where God says, oh, I can't help you with that, or you're, you're done for. We just come to God and we say, Lord, I'm sorry. Cut me off from that, cut off the future from that, change the future from what it was going to be and he'll cleanse, renew, heal, deliver, whatever language we want to use, he sets us free and, and that's why he says thousands of mm. generations receive the love mm. and there's a real contrast between three and four and thousands, the mm. love and grace and power and mercy of God far outweighs the damage but we have to turn to him. Yeah and the three or four can be turned around with repentance. Mm. So it's not set in stone no. that every generation, the next three generations are going to be completely stitched. No. no. Because his love is so great. That's the thing mm. through this, it's love. Mm. It's love that motivates it. It's love that drives us. Mm. It's wanting us to be free. And mm. to be free, there are certain parameters and boundaries and things that he knows that are good for us to enable us mm. to do that. Mm. Now, what about if, uh, you know, we're seeking to put God first? And that's great. And uh, maybe there are those around us that, that we look at and we think, oh, they've got a little bit of a problem with this. You know, what, what, what should I do? I've just seen this. Should I, should I go and tell them? Their idol is. What would your advice be to other people looking on at others thinking, oh. Well, the, the next study in John, which I'm about to uh, film after this and will be up on Sunday, entirely addresses that. Um, <laughs> uh, so I would point you to that. But what I would say is that the Bible uh, differentiates what is 
the supernatural work of his Holy Spirit yep. and what is the work of his followers. Mm -hmm. Human beings, followers, are told to love, to build up, to strengthen, to forgive, to enable. Yep. The work of convicting a person that they're doing the wrong thing, of changing their mind, is the work of God's spirit. Yep. So I will let God do what God needs to do because he's better at it than me, and I will do what he's told me to do. Mm -hmm. He's told me not to judge, yep. and he's told me not to condemn, yep. and he's told me to build and strengthen. So I do those four things, and I let God do the rest. And I know from my own life that there have been numerous times when I've needed to change and, and own and recognize mistakes within me. It's come from an internal sense of God speaking through scripture, or maybe hearing something that wasn't directed at me, but just I heard it, but I thought, yeah, that applies to me. Mm. It's never come from somebody saying, let me tell you, in love, what you need. <laughs> it's never happened because I just don't think God does it that way. Mm. I do think that there is a place of choosing people we trust mm -hmm. and giving them permission to mm -hmm. hold us to account. Yeah. And if someone has asked me to hold them account something, then, then that's a... a there may be a place for saying, look, I'm slightly worried about this. You've asked me to <laughs> ask you these questions. Mm -hmm. You've asked me to pick you up on this. I'm doing that. Yeah. That's the only time I would say. But other than that, I don't think we judge other people's gods because as the story I'm about to do in John says, he, Jesus says, if you're without sin, you can throw the first stone. Until that moment, shut up. And get on your knees and pray. Yeah. I think that's the most loving thing we can do yeah. for somebody else. That we may look at them and think, perhaps they're struggling with that. Not in a, not, not in a judgmental way, yeah. but it, it's apparent to us. The most yeah. loving thing we can yeah. do yeah. is to pray. Yeah. Just to pray yeah. for God to speak, for them to be open and to be protected. Yeah. And it is here by the grace of God go I. Yeah. Because we all have our little yeah. areas that we struggle with. Yeah. We might think we hide them. Yeah. They might be very apparent to other people. Yeah. It, I mean, I will... I teach the Bible, I, I point out all the difficult things it says, but I never, ever say, this applies to you. I just think that's abusive. Do you know, I heard a preacher today, I was walking, I won't tell you who it was, listening to it on my podcast, and uh, <clears throat> he said, it's just as well that I'm your, your preacher and not a little uh, guest preacher because I know everything about you and I know that this applies to you and to you and to you and that's the beauty of being your pastor and I thought if I was sat in there I'd walk out I would mm. never go back into another sermon because you're going to talk about something and you're going to point your finger at me and I'm going to be on my life it may not be believable for people but I genuinely have no concept of who I'm speaking to mm -hmm. and then I don't I genuinely and if I ever did think oh this person needs to hear this then I'd stop. I think that's wrong. The only thing that you do do, and it's not judging other people, is that you, when we used to do services on a Sunday, you would think of certain 
sections of the community yeah. and you would aim parts of the service at that. So if there was the bereaved and the struggling, there'd be something that they could cling on to that would give them hope. To build up, yeah. If there are those that are rejoicing, there'd be some means for them to express. So that's as far as you go. You don't sit there and think, right, Kath needs to hear this no. and stare at me as you're, no. you're, you're preaching no. because that's just completely wrong. I think that's... that's you see, he says, do not make yourself an idol. Uh, and, and I think this is fundamentally actually what the next commandment is. Maybe we'll do it next time. When he says, misuse the name of God, it's when you are taking on God's roles yep. and you're saying, I'm God and I'm deciding this for you. Yep. And that's, we let God be God and we'll be his people. That's an exciting cliffhanger to, to leave us on for our session next week. We'll be coming back to the Ten Commandments. Can we thank you for being with us this evening? We will say cheerio. Thank you so much for joining with us. And hopefully we'll see you on Sunday or Monday, if not next Wednesday, with more of our exciting Ten Commandments. We hey. need a theme tune, don't we? Dun, dun, dun. Anyway, I've gone a bit mad. So we'll say goodbye and we'll see you soon. Cheerio. Cheerio.